Well, hopefully you have your Bible with you this morning. If not, there should be one in front of you there in the pew rack. Go ahead and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 6 through 10 uh, this morning. But I'm going to read again starting in verse 3. I just want to read verses 3 through 5 because I was gone last week. So this will be a little reminder of where we're at. It says, if anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he's puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Again, we did this a couple of weeks ago. These verses, I read them again just so we could be acquainted with them because the verses that we will focus on today are part of this section. And we'll be finishing this, this little section there uh, in chapter 6. But one of the things that continues to happen today, and I hope that you haven't fall, fallen prey to it, but it is easy to do. I know I've found myself there before, is where you hear somebody teaching the Bible, but it ends up being false teaching. And what happens to us when we hear false teaching and we start to fall in line with false teaching is it robs us of our peace, our joy, our hope that we have only in Christ. And so I think that's why Paul is continuing to urge Timothy here to combat false teachers because of this, because it's going to rob that church, it's going to rob those Christians of the joy that's promised to us in Christ. And I want to read a couple of verses for you this morning to be thinking about as we approach the section that we'll be doing. And I want to challenge all of us to have these on our mind because the topic that we're going to uh, get into today is, is a tough one. And I know I need to go a little quicker this morning as well. So the first verse I want you to be thinking about is in Proverbs. It's Proverbs verse, chapter 14, verse 30. It should be on the screen. I want you to think of this proverb. It says, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Now, maybe you felt this before. And so I want this on your mind. But I also want you to be thinking about Matthew chapter 11, verse 27 through 30. These are some verses that I think are very needed for our world today and for the Christian church today to truly understand and hold on to. Matthew eleven twenty-seven to 30 says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want you to hear that promise of Jesus this morning. Because I think we all struggle with this, this rest. I, I dare say, when I talk to all of you, how well did you rest this week? Most of you would say, not very well. Not very well. Or say, where are you in your life with rest and peace? You would probably say, oh, that's a struggle. It's a struggle for me. Yet Jesus promises us this peace here. A rest that if we take his yoke upon us, that it, we will find this rest and we'll be entered into this rest. And so I want that on your mind as well as we as we look at our verses this morning. And then lastly, it's what Scott read from Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 4. You see, in Deuteronomy, he read about the law. God telling Israel there in Deuteronomy, 
If you obey my commands, you will live a long time in this land that I'm giving to you. But if you don't, you're out. Oh man, that's not rest, right? That, that's stressful. That, that is a burden. And so that's why I wanted to balance it with Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 4, which again, I want this on your mind. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free. How? In Christ Jesus, from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so when we read that passage in Deuteronomy, you and I today as Christians are able to fulfill that law in Deuteronomy, not because you and I are so good at fulfilling the law, not because we've become so moral and we've become so acquainted with the ways of God according to his word that it just kind of is natural for us. We are able to fulfill Deuteronomy because you and I are in Christ and he fulfilled it for us. And so this is where we find rest. And so follow along with me in 1 Timothy. Have those in your mind, please, as we read 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6 to 10. Paul goes on to say, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. I'm glad this falls on the day of graduation. I hope the graduates who are up here, and I know some others have graduated as well. You just didn't have the guts to come on stage, I guess. Uh, This is good for you this morning to hear. So I hope that they didn't leave because this is something that we all struggle with. As we look at verse 6, Paul has been talking about these false teachers and how they were using uh, the word of God as a means of gain in some way, shape, or form. And Paul pushed back against that. But the way he pushes against it is a little different than we, than we might think because instead of just talking about all the bad stuff that uh, goes along with using the gospel for money, instead he, he kind of flips it and says, when we have the gospel, we have everything we ever need. There's no, there's no more gain. There's nothing to go, to go beyond it. And so he says a phrase that has been very uh, difficult for me the past two weeks, and now I get to put this difficulty on you as well. I'm glad I'm not alone anymore in it. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And there's this word, contentment, that to some of you might be a bad word because it's so difficult. Right, these false teachers, again, they thought that they could make some money or move up in some way because of the gospel. And Paul's saying, money and moving up isn't what the gospel does. In fact, for Christians, this isn't even needed. Instead, what we need to be teaching and we need to understand is that we need to be content in this life. And how do we be content in this life? We truly understand the gospel and all that we gain in it. I think the reason we struggle a lot with not being content with where we are in life is because as Christians... We've failed to understand the true 
work of the gospel and what it has done for us. And as a result, we've looked to add to it. I don't know if you were here when we were preaching through Galatians and we also preached through Ephesians, but I, I gave you guys a little math problem for those of you who like math. It's pretty simple. But it was Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And if you add anything to that, Jesus plus anything, you don't have everything anymore. You've lost it. You've lost it all. And I'm afraid at times that's where we've got, and that's why we struggle with contentment, is because we don't understand that simple equation. And what God has done for us through the life of Jesus and the fact that we are now in Christ. And that is the phrase that Scripture uses so much that I I want all of us to really hold on to and to understand is that if you've been saved by God's grace, you are in Christ. And Scripture uses this phrase, in Christ, so often to speak of the truth of the gospel and to give the church peace. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1 through 4, that I just read, it speaks of that. There is now, therefore now, no condemnation for the, for who? For those in Christ. In Christ. That's the phrase. That's where we need to be found. And if you are in Christ, then what? There's no condemnation for you. You no longer stand before the law. You no longer stand before a judgment saying, what have you done for me lately? Instead, as Christians, we stand before God saying, Christ has done it all for us once and for all. For all time. And so if we are no longer condemned by God, which is our big problem in mankind, is we have fallen short of the glory of God, we are condemned by God because of our sin, and you're telling me, the Bible's now telling me, that because I am in Christ, I'm no longer condemned by God. He's, he's set me free because he's, he's paid my debt completely in Christ. He's done this for me. Then the question remains, what is there for me to be worried about? What else in this world can I gain? Right? I mean, there's, there's nothing beyond this that is any better. Some of you husbands probably have said that little pun to your wife. Why would I get you a birthday present? You have me. You've probably said something like that before. And you say it, honestly, kind of joking, but kind of not. You really think that you are this great gift. But we all hopefully understand, no, our wife could do better than all of us, and maybe you should get her something on those days. But when it comes to Jesus, that's as good as it's going to get. Now, I've needed to be reminded of this this week. I don't know about you, but most of my struggles come because I am not content in my life. One of the worst things for me is looking at Amazon. I realize there's products out there I didn't even know existed, but all of a sudden I have to have it. And if I don't have it, my life is miserable. Which five minutes ago, again, I didn't even know it was there. But now, I mean, it's only $12. That's a steal for this thing, that kitchen gadget that I'm never going to use. It's going to go in some drawer, right? But it's this struggle that we have, and I I don't know if it's our society, if it's our culture. I'm guessing it's just being human that all people struggle with that. But Paul here says, if we have godliness with contentment, it's great gain. But that means if we have godliness but we don't have any contentment, problems are going to follow in our life. And then the question would be, do we really then have godliness? Are we really seeking after him? In verses 7 and 8, 
This is something we've all heard. We know this. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. This is a bumper sticker, is it not? We see it on people's $80,000 trucks and whatever. It doesn't make any sense, but they put them on there. Saying those who dies with the most toys still dies. These types of sayings that we hear. And we all know this. But yet we still struggle to live as if this is true. This is something you've taught your kids. This is something we say. But it's often not how we live because we find ourselves so involved in the rat race of life that we forget what the end goal is. And the end goal in our lives is to not be condemned by God, which has already been accomplished for us as Christians. It's already accomplished for us. Yet we still want to enter this rat, rat race and it causes so much grief and dissension in our life. And that's why Paul goes on in verse 8 there where he says, if we have food and clothing, these things we will be content with. You see, verse 8 is something that Paul reiterates in other areas of Scripture. It's other areas of Scripture that's actually pretty popular. Uh, I actually see quite a few people with a tattoo of these uh, Scripture passages. In Philippians chapter 4, uh, verse 11 through 13, maybe for some of you, verse 13 is your life verse, and I don't want to mess your life verse up this morning, uh, but I want you to see what it means. Because Paul's talking about something similar here in Philippians 4. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Man, there's that word again. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Now let's stop there for a second, because that's what Paul's saying. He's, what's he saying? He's saying, God has took me through a process where I have learned to be content in anything. They slide this food in front of me. Ugh. It's okay. I'm content with it. I'm happy with it. The next place I go slides this food in front of me, and it's my favorite. I can be content with that too. I can be content when I don't get paid. I can be content when I'm getting paid. I, I can be content with unruly uh, family members. I can be content with family members that seem to be treating me fine and everything is good. This is a life that I don't understand, if I'm being honest with you. I struggle with this so much of being content no matter what the situation is and may arise. And, and how does Paul say he has accomplished that? How can Paul be so content? Well, with Philippians 4.13, which some people like to tattoo right there on their arm. Maybe you've seen it before. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So that verse isn't about me going and accomplishing all my goals. That verse is about me being content in whatever situation I find myself. And you say, well, how is this relevant for us today? Well, for some of you today, I look at you and I know you have been going through medical issues that are horrible. That anybody, anybody would complain through, would struggle through, and you're facing those medical situations right now, but yet this calling is for you too to be content right where you are. That's hard. <laughs> That's hard. For some of you, you're facing a time of plenty right now. Things are going really good for you. Things are on the up and the up. And I dare say it might be harder for you to be content where you find yourself right now than the one going through the medical problems. Because when we're going up and up, what do we want to keep doing? Go up and up. 
We're afraid of the time when it's going to start to go down. And so we do everything in our power to continue to go up and up. But yet, Paul would say there in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that doesn't mean bench press 300 pounds. That means I could be hungry and I'm fine. I could be full and I'm, I'm fine. I can be in a very stressful environment and situation and I'm content because this is where God has me right now and he has saved me. I am in Christ and there is no condemnation for me. So what can this world do to me? I'm content in this moment. See, this begs a tough question, doesn't it, for each of us to answer. Can we actually utter these words of Paul honestly? Again, I I bring this verse up, Philippians 4.13, because it's everywhere. But I think as Christians, we better be careful to use it correctly. Don't say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, unless you're talking about being content. Because that's what it means. And are you really there? (laughs) Again, that's a hard thing for me to say. Because... As I told you, I've known for the past few weeks that this was coming, that content was coming. I've read some books on contentment, some different things. And what I have found out in my life is I am content on a daily basis, maybe when I'm sleeping. And sometimes that's not the case because I'm hot when I'm sleeping and I want it to be colder in the house. I've found this to be extremely difficult to live. Again, I've tried to keep it on my mind. But it just pops back up all the time of, I want something better. I think things could be better. I think if I do this, it will be better. And it's just a struggle to live a life that has any contentment in it, honestly, at all. There's a really good book on contentment. It's very old. It was written by a Puritan, Jeremiah Burrow. It's called The Rare Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. And in it, he, this is how he defines contentment. He, he says, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every single condition. So picture it this way. I make dinner for my kids, whatever it is. Let's say it's, let's say it's a good dinner. Let's say I've made them... Uh, ribs, and we have like some roasted potatoes, and we have some country style green beans there. And I put it before them, and every single one of them just looks and says, Dad, thank you. I can't imagine that scene. <laughs> that would never exist in my life. Never for a second would every single one of them be happy just because their dad blessed them with. A good meal. And you, I know we laugh about it, but it's just, it's, just, it's just true. But that's what his quote is saying here. It's saying, if you trust in the sovereignty of God, which I think all of you would say, if I went up to you and said, do you believe God is sovereign? You guys would say, yes. Do you think he's a good God? Yes, I sing he's a good, good father on the way here. Okay, so then any situation you find yourself in right now, who's put you there? God, are you content? No. That's a problem. That's a problem. You say, well, Pastor Tim, you mean any situation? I mean any, any situation. Can we find ourselves to be content? Because this 
is submitting to God, right? This is when, we're, when we are content, we are submitting to God for everything that he has for me. I don't need to strive for more. I'm content with where I am and who I am in him. And for me, this is a real struggle, and I'll tell you why. And I hope that this messes with your mind like it has for me all week. The challenge of being content versus being complacent. I want you to think about that. I want you to spend all week thinking about that because I've continued to struggle with that. Because contentment is a good word, but in my life, complacent is a bad word. I don't want to be complacent. I don't want our church to be complacent. I don't want my family to be complacent. Well, how do you match that up with being content? Well, I do think you can be both, and I think the answer lies in the motivation behind the decisions we make. I wrote some of them down that I've come up with. Now, this could change in my mind some, and I hope that you think about it as well. But the questions that I wrote down to try to help me with this is, am I doing things simply for personal gain, or am I trying to glorify God in the things that I'm doing? Am I working hard to honor the Lord in the gifts and talents he's given me, or am I working hard for my glory and for my gain? Am I working hard to keep up with the Joneses? Now, on the flip side of this, Am I just using contentment as an excuse to be lazy? You know, where you're just saying you're content, but really you're just, you're lazy. You're not willing to go out there and work or to do anything. Because we are called to work. God calls us to work and he calls us to enjoy the benefits of our work. And we need to remember that. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24 to 25, it says, There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? So, so there's nothing wrong with working and making money or having enjoyment in the things that God gives you through work. And so we're not to be lazy, but we are to be content with what we have and what God has given us and where we find ourselves. I think it's also okay to not necessarily be complacent. But we also see in Scripture, we have to balance this very well, that Money can be an issue, right? Now, don't get me wrong. All over Scripture, we see people of God getting rich. Abraham became very rich following God, right? We see this with the kings of Israel, very wealthy. Uh, we see Lydia in uh, the New Testament. She seems to have had some money. She seems to have had some sort of business or, or something where they would even meet in her home. And so there was some sort of money there that she had. So again, there's nothing wrong with that. Or if you go to Matthew 25, we're not going to do that, but in the parable of the talents where he gives people money and they come back and he's like, you didn't make any money with the money I gave you? That's a problem. That's an issue. You're lazy. You're being lazy. And so we have to look at those passages and understand that that is true. But all over Scripture, we do see that money can become a problem and an issue because with riches... Comes, comes temptation. And we see that in our, in our passage. Because he says in verse 9, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Here Paul says that this money can lead to all these snares, these desires, these bad things. With these warnings, let me ask you this. It, it's so plain. I mean, kids understand this. I, I could teach this back there with the children right now, four and five-year-olds, and they would completely understand this. So I have to believe you understand it too. 
with desiring to be rich, you can fall into all these things. Let me ask you this. Why do we continue to flirt with it? I ask myself that question. Why do we continue to find ourselves trying our best to become rich? I think the answer is too often we think, yeah, but I'm the strong one. I'm the strong one. It might be like a camel going through the eye of a needle for a rich person, but man, if anybody could make a camel go through the eye of a needle, it's Tim. So God, you should give me a lot of money. I'm not going to fall short of, of what you ask of me. I will use my money for, for good. See, we're, we're so quick to take some other things in Scripture that has, that has warnings about not messing with, and we love throwing that on people. But when it comes to money, we're kind of a little hush-hush about it. Because deep down, we all have this desire for it, don't we? And verse 10 tells us why we should avoid it. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving, and notice this, that some have what? Wandered away from the truth and from the faith, and they've pierced themselves with many pangs. So what is the danger of flirting with the temptation of money? Well, there's a strong danger to prove, I think, that you were never a believer at all. Because you're not persevering. Money takes you away, and it pulls you away. I dare say some of you know people within your family who at one point, church was important to them, but now... That's not what's important to them. What's important to them is gain. Not just financial, but social status. That's one of the big callings with sports with kids, I've learned. Uh, our oldest son now is almost done. He'll graduate next year. And so I've got to go through this whole gambit of kids' sports, and I understand it. Most of it, almost all of it, is parents-driven. Parents' social status with other parents so that they can say how good their kid is. Their kid doesn't really care about the sport. Their kid's not too worried about the sport. It's not for the enjoyment of it. It's, it's about social status. It's about, it's about gain. We're not content to just love our, our kids. We want them to be the best, right? And so we will give up church for that. We will give up things of God for that. And Scott could attest to this too. Sadly, I've seen many of students spend a lot of good time in church just to go away very quickly when the world comes at them and what ensnares them? A lot of times it's gain. And they don't see the church as a means of gain. They see other things in the world as a means of gain and so of course they're going to go after that because they don't see the benefit of being a part of the church. They don't see that they need to be free from God's condemnation. They, they see other things as being something bigger. And so this temptation of money or personal gain, whatever it might be, leads to destruction. I almost get a sense here from Paul, and I, I want you to get this sense this morning too. It's not as if Paul is, is yelling and being very rude to the congregation and saying, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and it's through this many of you, you useless people have wandered away. I don't think it's that. I think it's with a broken heart Paul says this. He says, Timothy, warn them of the temptation of money, because Timothy, you know just like me, Many of these people that we love are now in the town of Ephesus, not known for their love of Christ, but they're known for their personal gain. They're not even with us anymore. They, they've went away, and now they're, they're more concerned with, with business and whatever it might be. They're completely gone, Timothy. You know this. 
warn the ones who are there not to go into that same trap. Don't let them fall into this. They think they're gaining something by gaining the world. We don't need to gain the world. We are in Christ. We have everything that we need. Again, we need to notice, as Paul's talking about here, it's money leads to all kinds of evil, but money in itself is not evil. The Bible does not equate riches with sin. It's not a comparison, a one-to-one comparison. Yet it does warn that money can lead to temptation to sin. And I think we can all agree this is very relevant for all of us this morning because in America we're taught at a very young age the importance of money and the ease of life that it can bring. We know this. Kids, you need to go to school. Well, why do you need to go to school? It's not so that the betterment of you. It's you go to school so that you can get smart, so that you can get a good job and make a lot of money. That's the whole purpose of of college. That's the whole purpose of, of going into a trade or whatever it might be. That's what's always told to me. I'm going through that thing too now because my son's getting older. Well, you should have him go into a trade. You know how to trade. They make $90,000 right out of school. Oh, okay. Is it a good job? Is he ever going to have a day off? Is he going to work 15 hours a day? None of that's talked about. It's, well, he could make this much money. Right? That's what we're looking at. But yet on the flip side, again, we also are taught that money cannot bring happiness and it cannot bring joy. That's something that we've all heard. As I was thinking this, though, I thought of that country song that's out right now. Maybe some of you would know it by Chris Jansen. He says, money can't buy happiness, but what can it do? It can buy me a boat, he says. It can buy me a truck, he says, to pull it. And then he says, it can buy a Yeti cooler and maybe some drinks to go in the cooler, nice and nice down. And what's the point of that? It was a humorous song for me to listen to this week, knowing what I was going to preach, because it is how we function. I know that money cannot buy me happiness, but that thing that slices watermelon on Amazon looks a lot easier than what I've been doing. I really need it, because it will make me happy. It will appease me. I will finally be content. Listen, I I really do speak from experience. Uh, Amanda and I have had quite a month when it comes to money and things. Every single car we own has decided to break down all at the same time, constantly. And when you finally get it repaired and you get it home, something new happens. And it's become a running joke. I mean, it was this week I called her. I said, hey, my engine light came on in my truck. Yeah, of course it did. Of course it did. And so I'm thinking about contentment and how to deal with contentment. And I'm like, how can I be content with this pile of junk truck or this pile of junk car that we make our son drive? or whatever it might be, right? And trying to work through all of these things. And one of the things that I've found in my life of thinking about that and going through all this stuff is I need to be willing to confess these sins to God that I have when it comes to lack of contentment. I need to be willing to seek after him, asking him to help me to be content in whatever he provides for me, whatever it might be. Not worried about what somebody might be thinking. You know, the way, the way that somebody might look at me. You know, it's really embarrassing to be in a funeral line and you're leading the way and your truck looks like it's bouncing on hydraulics because it's about to stall. It's embarrassing. It's happened quite a few times. But again, that's me worrying about what other people are thinking instead of just focusing on the task at hand that God has given me maybe to minister to a family in the moment where their loved ones died and they're letting me talk to them and share 
See, all of this stuff matters. And I need to be, again, willing to confess these sins to God, to be content with whatever he might provide for me. Maybe it's riches. Maybe for some of you this morning, you are rich beyond you can imagine, and you know it. But maybe what you struggle with is it's just not enough. Or maybe at times what you struggle with is it's mine and nobody else's. Maybe what you struggle with today is seeing other people be rich and you not. And you wonder, what is going on? God, why can't I have these things? You see, all of this matters because contentment can lead to a healthy life. It leads to a healthy church family when everybody in it is content. I told you I was reading a couple books this week, and I'm going to go through this really quick because I know that it's late, so I'll go really fast. But in that book I told you about by Jeremiah Burrow, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, he gives some reasons of why contentment is healthy. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say them real, real quickly, okay? So there's, there's ten things. First, he says contentment allows us to worship God how we should. So if we were all perfectly content when we walked into this room this morning and we're all living a content life, can you imagine how much happier of a place this would be? How much more joyful it would be? As we approach the throne of God to worship him, we're not thinking, well, God, I could worship you, but I really asked for something and you didn't give it to me. I could worship you today, but I got a bad, I got a bad uh, doctor's appointment this past week. I really could worship you, but you know I have plenty of bills that are unpaid, and I'm not sure if I'm even going to have a car this week. See, all that stuff would be gone. If we were content, we'd be able to go to God and actually truly worship him. And we could go to many other places uh, with that, but true contentment lets us worship God. Second, he says contentment allows us to experience and display God's grace. See, when all we're doing is whining all the time about what we don't have and what would be better in the stock market and all these things, what do you think your non-Christian friends think? Man, that God of yours is really helping you out, ain't he? Really giving you some peace and comfort in your life. He also says contentment allows the soul to receive mercy. He says, I, he says a, a quote in there. He says, I appeal to you who are in any way acquainted with the ways of God. Have you not found this to be the way of God towards you? When you were troubled for want, perhaps some of spiritual comfort and your hearts were vexed at it, you got nothing from God all that while. But if you have got your heart into a quiet frame and can say, well, it's right that the Lord should do with this poor creature that what he will, I'm under his feet and am resolved to do what I can to honor him. And whatever he does with me, I will seek him as long as I live. I will be content with what God gives and whether he gives or not, I will be content. Are you in this frame? Says God, now you shall have comfort. Now I will give you mercy. A prisoner must not think he will get rid of his chains by pulling and tearing. He may gall his flesh and rend it to the very bone, but certainly he will not be unfettered sooner. Listen, if he wants his fetters taken off, he must quietly give up himself to some man to come and take them off. Maybe that's us in our life with contentment. I've continued to strive on Tim's. This is how Tim is going to become content. I need to give that up and come to Christ. Thank Christ, you are the only one who can make me content in you. Help me to see that. Contentment allows us to be fit to serve. If every single one of us in this room this morning are preoccupied with ourselves, guess what we can't care for? The person you're sitting next to. You can never love them well. You can never serve them well. Because all you can think about is how uncontent you are. 
Contentment also frees us, he says, from all kinds of temptation. He has a quote in there. He said, the devil loves to fish in troubled waters. If you're a fisherman, you know that this is true. When you stand over a river or a stream, you're not looking for the still places. You're looking for the places that are moving over rock and over cover. And that's where you're casting your line. Why? Because the fish are in the troubled waters. That's where they are. So you're trying to find that place. And he uses this comparison here. The devil loves to go after the people who are constantly troubled. The people who can't find no contentment in anything. They're the ones that he can get. They're the ones who temptation can, fl- can fling away from God at any second. Then he says contentment brings with it comfort. Because with it, when we do receive blessing from God, there's great comfort in that, knowing what? Knowing it is from God. God has done this for me. I wasn't seeking this, but God brought me this. And so we praise him because he's brought me this great thing that I was content the other way, but here I am now with all of this. Three more things. He says, contentment draws comfort from those things we do not really possess. He said, certainly our contentment does not consist in getting the things we desire, but in God's fashioning our spirits to our condition. You might have heard me say this before. I used to say this a lot with the youth. I think one of what we need to be praying for the most in our life is, God, make your desires to be what my desires are for me, not the other way around. God, I really want this. I pray that it would be your will that I get this. No, instead, I think our prayer life needs to be more, God, make my desire be whatever your desire is for me. Change my heart, change my ways, because I want to be in your will at all times. Resting in Christ alone. Then uh, the eighth thing, contentment is a great blessing of God on the soul. No more looking around, no more being jealous about things. Can you imagine that life? Hey, honey, the neighbor's just got a pool. I gotta get a pool. No, no more of that. Or something more relevant. This is true, I've heard you guys say it. Honey, the neighbor just mowed the lawn. I just mowed mine four days ago. I gotta go do it again to match him? Yeah, I'm like that too. Those who are content may expect reward from God. He says in the book that in contentment, God rewards us with all things. He says we, we know that we have the desires. God knows the things of your heart. But when we are content, what is God doing? He's granting all the desires of our heart because our desires are to follow him. It may be giving us something or it may be getting us to the point to when we're drawn to our knees to him and love him and him alone as we should. He says, herefore consider, he says, how many things have I that others lack? And can I bring my heart into a quiet, contented frame to lack what others have? I have the blessing of all that they have, and I shall either possess such things as others have, or else God will make it up one way or another, either here or hereafter, in eternity to me. Oh, what riches are here. With contentment, you have all kinds of riches. And then lastly, contentment leads to an excellence near God himself. You know, one of the names of God is El Shaddai, which means all-sufficient one. And when we find ourselves truly content being in Christ, what are we? We have become self-sufficient because of him. We rest in Christ. We have the peace that he's promised us. We carry his yoke, which is easy and light. Why? Because he's placed it all there. He's the one leading us and guiding us. This is the last quote I'm going to read. I know I've been up here a little while. This is the last one, so I hope you'll listen to it from this book. He says, suppose there were no creatures in the world and that all the creatures in the world were annihilated. God would remain the same blessed God that he is now. 
He would not be in a worse condition if all creatures were gone. Neither would he have contented heart. If God should take away all creatures from him, a contented heart has enough in the lack of all creatures and would not be more miserable than he is now. Suppose that God should keep you here and all the creatures that are in the world were taken away, yet you still, having God to be your portion, would be as happy as you are now. Therefore, contentment has a great deal of excellence in it. You know, we look at the story of Job and we commend Job. But we also say, God, don't ever make me Job. Don't ever put me in that position. True contentment does not fear a life of Job. Because God didn't leave Job. God never forsake Job. God was still his portion. I don't know if I'm at that point in my life or not. I don't know if you are or not. But that's what makes responding to this passage so easy this morning as we get ready to respond to the word of God. As we can at least spend some time praying, saying, God, you know my heart is not to the point to where I could say, if all creatures on this earth left and it was just me, I would be just as content tomorrow as I am today right now. We know that we probably can't say that. So that means we have a good deal to pray about to our God this morning. To seek his face, knowing that he has done the work for us. Contentment is available. Peace and hope and life is available. Listen, graduates, it's not in your diploma. Most people couldn't care less you have a high school diploma. Now, if you're a junior, you should get your high school diploma next year. But most people couldn't care less that you have that thing. That's not what gives you peace. That's not what gives you happiness. The things of this world will never offer that to you. I don't care what you do uh, academically. I don't care what you do athletically. I don't, I don't care if you go on to have a family or whatever. None of that can provide for you peace, hope, and joy that only Christ can give you when you are found in him. It can't. And so I hope that as we pray here in a moment, we'll look to God for contentment. We'll understand the benefits that come with contentment. We'll understand that contentment is there available for us in Christ. And I hope that you will be willing to pray a prayer asking God to change your heart. If you listened to this message, you said, but I kind of like striving after things all the time. It's kind of who I am. Or maybe you might have to say, it's kind of what I do for my company. Well, I hope that you'll respond to God how you should this morning. Let's bow together. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you have promised us content. And it's not what we read in Deuteronomy that I have to do everything good and I have to do everything well. No, it's Christ has done that for me. And so, God, I pray that you would help us in our hearts to view Jesus how we should as everything. God, I I pray that these generations that are coming up, generations that are sitting here listening, would understand the great gain we have in the gospel message in Jesus, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. God, we've watered that down so much that... We will, we will equate anything being better than that. 
God, I think the common fallacy that many a good Christian people say nowadays is, well, I'm, I'm going to spend time with family instead. And we think that that sounds holier than the gain we have in Jesus. God, I pray that I would get to the point in my life, and I pray that you would help me to where I could say what Jeremiah Burrow said in that quote. If all the creatures of the world left, and I'm the only one left, I would be just as content that day as I am today. God, you know my heart and you know my mind. You know that I'm probably not there yet. But God, I pray that you would help me. Because God, so often in my life, the stresses that I have, the unhappiness that I have, is because of the lack of contentment that I have. Too often, I do not think about the fact that because I have Christ, I have gained everything. I have gained the whole world. Instead, I see the things in the world and I think that those will add to it somehow and that at some point if I could just have this or do that or go there then I could rest then I don't have to keep toiling but God I know that that's not true true rest is only found in you true contentment can only be found in Jesus and what he has done for me so God I know that that's my confession this morning I I would guess so that it's many others in this room's confession as well. God, we thank you for how good you are to us. God, if we're being very honest, most of us in here are very rich compared to everybody else in this world. You've blessed us with so many things. You continue to pour your blessings out on us. You've given us Christ, but then you've given us a building. You've given us seats to sit in. You've given us family. You've given us friends. You've given us so many material things. God, we want to use those for good. So help us to do that. Help us to love each other. Help us to care for the other person more than we care for ourselves so that we can be a church family that you would desire us to be and one that is effective in sharing the gospel with our family, with our neighbors, with our friends, to this community. God, as we sing this last song, help us to respond to your word however we should. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.